Welcome to In Loving Recollection. This is your pal Brent. On the night my oldest child was born, just a few moments before he entered this world, I was standing next to my wife, holding her hand, when all of a sudden I started to get lightheaded and felt as if I were about to faint. So I said to her and the medical professionals in the room, Do you think we can take a quick break so I can get some water? To which my wife immediately replied, Are you serious? Luckily, this quick and simple reprimand for my inability to read the room at that moment had its intended effect. It allowed me to be mentally present. And as someone who had spent a good portion of the time during his wife's pregnancy living inside his own head, this definitely was not easy. I guess I've always been a bit of a worrier, and the way in which I've most often combated the chaos of the world has been to really lean into the familiar and not venture too far out from my comfort zone. And though my wife gave me plenty of notice leading up to this life-changing event, an event that I wholeheartedly endorsed and willingly participated in its making, I was still pretty nervous about being a parent. Was I and the world going to be good enough for this kid? And was I really ready to experience the kind of love that I knew had the potential to completely destroy me? That type of vulnerability is some scary shit. Nobody, not even the rain, has such small hands. I guess this is all to say that while totally worth it, the act of bringing a life into this world can be pretty overwhelming. But again, like I said, very much worth it. My worrying hasn't really dissipated in the 14 years since my son's arrival. In fact, it may be on the increase considering that he's now been joined by two younger brothers and this world just seems to be getting shittier. But I do feel like these days, I am a bit more resilient than I once was. I guess you kind of have to be. On her 2022 album, The Spur, Kentucky songwriter Joan Shelley expresses a similar sentiment in regards to perseverance. I'd first come to the music of Joan Shelley through a show I used to host on my local radio station that showcased Southern music but the real impetus for exploring her work further came through her appearance as well as her husband's guitarist and musicologist Nathan Salzberg on Jake Zersey Fussell's wonderful 2017 record, What in the Natural World. It also didn't hurt that the album that Shelley released during that same year was produced by Jeff Tweedy. I mean, there just seemed to be a lot of indicators out there advising me to dive into her music. So I did just that, and I became a fan. So naturally, when it was announced in April of last year that Shelley would be releasing a new album titled The Spur in June, I knew it would be something I'd want to hear, especially after reading that it was produced by James Elkington, a musician whose work I had recently gotten into due to his contributions to two other fairly recent records that I really loved. Liam Kazar's Due North, and Jake Zersey Fussell's Good and Green Again. With that, I kind of just knew that this would be a record for me. 
and when Joan Shelley's The Spur was finally released, I put it on, and I listened. This is the story of that record. I'm Joan Shelley, and uh, I make music in Louisville, Kentucky, generally. A spring remembers the taste of gin I let a light upon our skin Your form it lingers Trace just where you've been Songs we sing, I'll sing again When it breaks down Baby, let's try See the beauty in all the fading I saw the river this latest record called The Spur was recorded while I was seven months pregnant and written the year before when I didn't know I was going to have a baby but had a lot of relevant content to my coming experience and uh, what else? I don't, there's so much else to say really so I'll just <laughs> put a period there. Singer-songwriter Joan Shelley would spend her childhood in a rural area near Louisville, Kentucky and it is at an early age that she would form a connection with music. I'm from just outside. Um, My mom raised horses when I was a kid, and I grew up on the same farm. I was actually born in Traverse City on a cold uh, six-month period. We were up north and then moved back to where my dad is from, which is Louisville. She parked us out on about 30 acres you know, lots of rolling hills, the bluegrass region, literally, like the really good limestone soil is good for grazing, and this is where a lot of horse people live. So we were isolated, my brother and I, um, out there pretty much. You know, we didn't really interact with the city at all, and it was kind of intimidating to us as young people. Like, we were afraid of teenagers and stuff, like, what's go- what is going on in there? Um very tied to the natural world, you know, lots of muddy creeks and explorations like that. Just, you know, seeing, you see a lot of death, I think, in the country that you don't see in the city. Things kind of get swept away gracefully in cities. And I, I think seeing a lot of animals come and go was a big part of my awareness as a human on the earth. But we weren't like subsistence farming, so it was just like a really idyllic place to grow up. I have really early memories of kind of singing to myself and being outside. You know, for a while in my life, I thought they were kind of silly, childish songs that I was making up to be in like a fantasy land or something, you know. But now, even further along in life, I'm like, well, that was real. And seeing a child now, I, I found out how to connect, I think, in a genuine way that was very childlike and um, pretty pure interaction with just singing and being around trees and birds (laughs) Um, and that turned into a coping mechanism later I think it was my way of dealing with changing schools and bullying whatever all the things of childhood kind of went back into my bedroom songwriting world and I wrote songs like in my head all the time my mom was into a lot of folk music and world music stuff everybody's parents had like Enya there was this like shelf of CDs that particular parents had, and mine was one of them. There's a there was a Neil Young. There was um I think there was yeah, 
a lot of like the um Buena Vista Social Club is in there, good time. So there, there's like a variety of funny things, and it never really, I never really identified with a genre, I guess. I, and sometimes I envy that, like kind of belonging to a musical tradition. But I just got exposed to a lot of music, and none of which I really considered mine. Shelley's interest in music and songwriting would eventually lead to her learning to play the guitar as a means to accompany both the lyrics and melodies she had already begun to compose. It was to support those, because I've been writing like acapella songs, and which is blowing my mind now, but it made total sense then. My mom had a guitar in the attic, and she was like a big Joan Baez fan, so there's a couple little like sheet, you know, written out lyrics and chords in there. But the um, the chord chart on the wall, there was like a poster of, of chords, and I just kind of learned from there where to put the fingers and everything. But I, I was mostly just kind of... I mean, I'm so glad YouTube wasn't around when I was a kid because <laughs> I learned like very publicly, like going to open mics and stuff and just strumming my heart out really, you know, un- just kind of unaware and, and, and searching among friends and amateurs. Following her graduation from high school, Shelley would leave Kentucky to attend the University of Georgia in Athens. I really wanted to go to a like a school that had a big music scene and REM was on my radar and just was like, well, this sounds like a place where that all happens. And I've got to go to school because my parents said so. You know, <laughs> it was kind of a compromise for me, a weird, weird compromise. <laughs> and and I loved like that part of the world. I don't know, they're like Kentucky's not like that southern, you know, it's, or the northern part of Kentucky is not as Uh, Red clay and those crazy pines. I eventually made friends who told me about, like, the secret squirrel venue and, like, different shows that were coming through, and I got to see the chestnut. Um, That was a big thing for me. When I was a senior is when I really saw, like, the more interesting, like, I was like, oh, here's the scene, and now I'm leaving. You know, this was very bittersweet. Um, but I just went into a lot of open mics. Again, I was like kind of blind, <laughs> I was like playing my stuff, you know. I wasn't a very good listener yet, and I started to get better as it went on. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's just so much stuff going on that um, I wish I was a part of as a listener. After graduating from college and living elsewhere for a time, Shelley would return to Kentucky and gradually become involved with the Louisville music scene. I went around, I taught English in Argentina, and I think it was after that trip kind of imploded. I came back to Athens after that, actually, and had spent some time with a boyfriend who did treat me the way I wanted. And then I kind of went home to lick my wounds and just started putting my feet in front of one another, you know, started without choosing. I kind of went home and... I, I always thought I'd be like a world traveler. So it was really surprising when I when I started to see that I was going to live there too. And um, But the sweet part being that music took me everywhere that we wanted to go, really. Not all the places, but yeah. Went to Louisville and lived in town. And so I kind of got to discover Louisville for the first time and started playing with this trio, Maiden Radio, um, singing with two incredible musicians and singers, 
and really taught me Kentucky music for the first time. Um, I learned the banjo with them and did a lot of like old time jams and stuff to, I was so hungry to learn the tunes then. And it was just a really cool crossover in Louisville. It was like people that were from the punk scene went to old time music and back, you know, it was just like this cool little, um, salt water meets freshwater place. And, uh, the most sweet people I had met in a long time. So it was really great to go back to Louisville, to actually go to Louisville. In 2010, Shelley was self-released by Dawnlight, a collection of songs with which the experience of making had not been an entirely positive one. That was the first time I'd really been like, you know, this thing that is music for me, just playing music and being around friends and playing songs was like I sat in front of some mics and put it under the microscope and was like, why am I so upset by this? You know, like, why is everything going wrong? It felt like, and it was like nothing I'd experienced before in terms of like how self-conscious in a feedback loop I felt. I was like, what, you know, like get me out of here. So it really felt bad that first time doing those demos and stuff and kind of, I think, wanting it to sound good, but not knowing how to do it and not being with the right people that I trusted. Uh, really weird relationship with the recording engineer that was like, he would sit after hours and like tinker with it. Like just if we, in a computer, which was like, it felt very violating to be like, not auto-tuned, but like pitch shifted for tempo purposes and all kinds of stuff that I was like, just realizing were real that you could do. And I was like, it was so grossed out by it all. Um, so I finally got to make a record record with a friend of mine who had made records and he helped me, you know, like produce it with a real studio situation. And that was Ginkgo. And that felt like a real um, expression of myself rather than kind of like a mutilated corpse of <laughs> things that I had done. Oh, sweet, sweet dark-haired man Oh, please, please take my hand And lead me, lead me, lead me, lead me on The light soft on your brow It shows how you're worried now I could love you, love you, love you anyhow My buddy that I toured with, Daniel Martin Moore, um, we went into a studio in Louisville called the Funeral Home, which was above a funeral home, and went in with some collaborators he had worked with, Dan Dorf, a really great professionalist drummer, and Ben Solee, who's like a kind of wizard kid. I say kid, he's he's a grown man, but he always strikes me as very youthful. Uh, the place cello, and he, so he was really sweet. And, and I also had my bandmates, Julia and Cheyenne from Main Radio, come and sing with me. And it just felt like it was friends who I could really lean on that um, helped me make that record and um, it was still really emotional like I remember being on the staircase like finding a time to just sit by myself and like cry but for no reason that I could really tell I think it was the losing of control um, in those situations where my 
um, personal strong preferences were like screaming, but also my, my sense of what is polite and uh, and a good way to be around other human beings. Like those two were in conflict because I don't want to be a bossy person. It's not it's not my natural personality. Uh, I didn't think that was okay growing up. So it's like oof, having to ask for what you want. And uh, I was really immature in that area. But as I've gone on from Ginkgo, it's been like, oh, that's why you pick people who ring with your frequency, you know, because then you don't have to to speak. You don't have to translate everything all the time or fight for it. It is following the completion of her second album, Electric Ursa, that Shelley would sign with the Philadelphia-based label, No Quarter. Two Canadians were on that label. Doug Paisley and The Weather Station. And I heard their records, and Nathan Salzberg, who was a friend of mine at the time, um, just, he, I think he sent me that, like, here, you try this record label. And I wrote to Mike at No Quarter for, with Ginkgo, and he was like, no thanks. <laughs> but then I made the next record with a band, and it sounded much different. I, I don't know, well, Either way, I sent that in, and he was like, okay, we'll do this record. So Electric Ursa was the first one on No Quarter. Though they had collaborated previously, Electric Ursa would, in a way, mark the beginnings of Shelley's musical partnership with her future husband, Nathan Salzberg. He's on Ginkgo. I brought him in for the song Sure Is Night, but Nathan did a little bit more on that record. There's one song in there. The title track is actually just the two of us. planted the seed for all the records after. It's just like, oh my gosh, he's my collaborator. This is the one, you know, like, just play guitar with this guy forever and you're good. <laughs> I met him through just the Louisville scene. I had played with my, with Made Radio at a bar and I guess he had come to that because he's like, you know, he's interested in old time music. And, um, and then I saw his band play at this Louisville's for Lovers record thing. It was like a, a show full of a lot of different musicians playing their songs and so we kind of became friends all of us were like this um we started playing music and shows together and stuff and so he was um just one of my dear friends in the years that followed the release of electric ursa shelley would maintain a consistent release schedule of new material while also spending much of that time touring throughout the u.s and abroad it is following a tour at the end of 2019 that Shelley would begin to work on the songs that would make up her next record, unaware of the significant life changes that awaited in the new year. Right after we finished this tour with Jake Fussell and Nathan Bowles and Anna Cliff and Staple, and that which became the live album, that live album was like the last show I played with the band. And after that tour, I had this song uh, when the light is dying came to me 
and I was remembering a couple of years back when we had toured Iowa, and um, it was kind of like Nathan and I in his car. Just a kind of um, a reflection over past years of really moving around pretty fast. And also the election of Donald Trump, like being stuck in a car in a feedback loop, being like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> We're all distraught. It's just like, is nothing going to change? Or I don't know. It just There was this dark period in the car touring that came out on the other end is that song, which was kind of a, like a warm feeling around that achy feeling. And that song, as well as Why Not Live Here, came kind of back to back, just how they didn't, they come generally and be like, oh, these two cousins are here. That means there's an old album coming. And after lockdown, I sat down with some songwriters on Zoom and we just wrote a song a week for a year. His friend, he's my age, but he had been kind of in other creative outlets and he wanted to start songwriting. He's like, can we start a songwriting group? And he's kind of like a really devoted creator. Like he really wants to do things seriously and weekly and all this stuff. And um, I was like, all right, I'll try. I don't think anybody's going to want to meet every week. That sounds really like a lot, but I ended up calling up a bunch of friends of mine who are into that kind of thing. And about six of us met regularly on average and it worked. And I think it worked because we then were shut down. We met once in person and the rest was, um, as a way to stay sane, I think, and have a conversation about things that everyone was processing and together. It is near the end of the writing process that Shelley and Salzburg would discover that she was pregnant. I was trying to hang on in the group during some really bad morning sickness, and I was, like, too tired to be on the screen. So they were some of the first people to find out because I was like, y'all, I have to stop now. Couldn't write. I had morning sickness all day, so I was pretty much numb to um, brain-using endeavors like that. And so that was the end of the writing. I didn't write any lyrics after I found out. So they were all uh, psychic. (laughs) I don't know. They were all actually backward-facing. Like I was thinking about my childhood issues and things that were coming up in my family because of the like really divisive politics that were going on. Like so many things were being the scab ripped off of and being like, all right, we do have to talk about gender now again. And we do have to talk about power dynamics. And we didn't, you know, I thought we did, but it didn't work. It was like nothing in linear, like conversation. I couldn't persuade anybody of anything. I couldn't fix anything through conversations. It seemed like there was this dissonance. So I just had to go into myself and be like, you know, we adjust then. We have to be okay with things not being okay and find the identity for myself. Yeah, so it's just going back to childhood. And probably because of that writing process, I became capable of having a kid, that even being a thing that I might want to do. Because before that, I was kind of like, why would you want to be the one that screwed up a kid on earth? <laughs> um, it just seemed like a big responsibility. But I came through a lot of those songs, uh, finding a lot of the, the bricks in the path towards becoming a mother. With the writing process complete, longtime friend and collaborator James Elkington, who had co-produced Shelley's 2019 album, 
like the river loves the sea, would be brought in to once again act as producer. So Nathan and James Elkington have made two guitar records that are pretty incredible if you've not heard them. They, they met through Nathan's longtime friend who went to um, Hebrew school with him, Jessica Linker, who's married to James Elkington. So Nathan had a longtime friend, and Jim lives in Chicago, and they started hanging out and realizing that they had like a psychic connection, like they anticipated each other's and complimented each other's guitar playing really well. And the same way I was kind of like, Nathan, it just fits into the song so well. Nathan makes the rooms of these songs make sense for me. Um, the two of them, it's just like being with a bunch of psychics or something like Jim could do no wrong. He always brought like just the right minimal amount of strings or just a few cymbal hits and a really subtle drum beat. Some people just like can only play not just drummers, but recording, like only can imagine a full kit going full speed. And it's like, I write really quietly or sing pretty quietly. And I write these kind of small songs. You can overpower them really easily. And Jim never did that. He was always um, just bringing up just enough, you know. Sessions for the Spur would begin in March of 2021 at Earthwave Studio in Shelbyville, Kentucky. Engineering the sessions would be musician Zach Riles, who Salzburg had previously worked with on his 2021 album, Psalms. It's a friend of his, longtime friend of his, his from school days, who's in a lot of different bands, has been in, and he moved with his wife and family to this piece of land out in Shelbyville and started this pretty incredible farm of, like, nut trees, asparagus, blueberries, cattle, you know, pigs and just like they wanted to do it like just as well as can be done and he's a perfectionist so he built a studio out there and invited us you know whenever you guys want to come out and by the time we got it together and Nathan was just gently urging me like Zach's right over here we just go no pressure like if you feel too tired or whatever like we'll just stop and leave so it's very friendly casual no pressure situation and it was the spring of 2021 so all the trees out there were just like plum blossoms in full bloom like swaying cattle going between these trees their cattle just like the most gorgeous like I don't the song Amberlit Morning like there were I was looking out over cattle grazing in the sun in spring and singing the song that had these elements in there too and so it was a rich environment to be playing and to be recording in he had a really cool trident board and some incredible you know compressors and things i have no idea which what they are but he has a couple great tape machines that he would run things through to like hear the like that added compression from tape and i think in the end we we did a lot of digital, but um, like just straight to the computer. But it's like a big piney room that you can kind of hear the acoustics of sometimes. But the, I think I have a picture somewhere of all the mics he threw up. He threw up more mics on us than I've ever seen. Because um, Nathan and I sat in the main room facing each other. So there's just a lot of bleed. There's no real separation of my voice and the two guitars. 
and in the end, they made a record. Am I losing my mind? Do I see all that too? Will I let it slip by me? Will we mourn what we lose? Your eyes seem to show it. I believe that they do. Don't I know every color? Can't I name every hue? When I'm losing you. When I'm losing. You say you're familiar You've heard every tune with your mind Normalizing the wonders of you You're sad in your silence Your far attitude Do I lease you always? Is the rent coming due? Am I losing? The Spur begins with Forever Blues, a track that achieves what any great opener should, and that it acquaints its listeners with both the album's tone and sonic palette. But more than anything, Forever Blues is simply the first in a number of well-constructed songs that displays Shelley's gift for subtlety, allowing the true moments of grandeur to shine without being overbearing. I mean, Just listen to this part right here. Isn't that good? That was a fun one to put together with James Elkington's arrangements. They're really soaring strings. At the end, which I kind of historically avoid, those kind of dramatic swoops can be a little manipulative, I think, of maybe making the feeling grander than the content. Um, But the theme of the song and the lyrics of the song kind of are speaking to that. So I thought, okay, let's go for it. the last verse kind of builds to these like grand illusions we can have you know the distant clouds actually being mountains in your mind and if you go there you know so we did that musically that was fun and yeah the opening (laughs) the opening line like the reason we put it at the top of the album was just kind of in answer to that covid time we were all in it's like am i losing my mind like are you there too is everyone that I'm speaking to at the synth of the music. And so it's a little, there's a little humor in the song and a little cra- like feeling kind of crazy and complete sincerity, which I think is a pretty good sample of what I try to do. When I came up with that name, I felt kind of like hesitant because it didn't want to sound like I was, you know, a bl- you know, here's a blues. Like a blues rhythm is a specific thing. It's like a type of music, but, but it's a, play on words of which I found pleasing and yeah like I like the strength of it in the title but it's more to that idea just like the idea of forever can give you 
the blues because of, you know, promising something forever, trying to make some moments emotion last forever. The expectations that set you up for disappointments and it just seemed to fit. At this point, like we we tracked the album, just the two of us in the room. Like, so that's the only shared sonic space that was, you know, the bones of the whole album. So those had to be the strength, you know, like then then we could do other things. We were just playing off each other. I'm sure the tempo shifts. I'm almost sure. Um, <laughs> I like it that way. I don't know why. More human, less professional. Is that fair? I don't know. I kind of like when things don't sound professional or like manufactured, right? Like the the Nashville assembly line of songs or something. On the album's title track, Shelley sings of persistence over a hypnotic, finger-picked guitar pattern that acts as the center around which all the other elements within the song, such as its pulse-like drumbeat and ascending and descending organ notes, are able to effortlessly orbit. We'll put our feet in the sky Rip them free from the ground And we'll dance like we're high Watch the good times wear out Come on, ride fast enough Till the old world's blur The neon cardboard cut out City skyline, the grand graveyard. Be a spur in my side. Be the shade on my eyes. All my friends and my enemies too. I'm with you. I'm with you. Certainly an important song. I um, wrote it on a banjo, I think, or in some kind of banjo tuning. No, no, I wrote it on the resonator, but that's the only song I play the resonator on on the recording. When there's a slide, the lower part I play it, that cyclical part, it's just not all guitars will ring out when you slide up, you know? So it just kind of works for the song. I, I wish I played, like anybody else who grabs a resonator better, like do a lot more than I do with one. <laughs> I feel like you don't take that thing out in public and just do something really repetitive. People are always like kind of soloing and showing off with such a shiny guitar like that. You know, everyone was just trying to get the loudest before amplification. These were the loudest sounds you could get, right? So like that resonator is all metal and the sound is like hitting a piano. It's just so... I don't know what they did. I'd love to know how people made instruments. Like, okay, let's get louder. Just like bent metal until they got it louder. It's a cool thing. The song, it was written in a songwriting group that, um, 
think maybe two thirds of this album was written in. So we were coming up with songs each week. Like this one, I think the prompt was give someone else in the group a line and they have to start writing the song with that first line. So that first line, um, we'll put our feet in the sky, uh, rip them free from the ground and we'll dance like we're high. That's all from my friend Katie Peabody. And, you know, something about that is a line that is way too kind of carefree for anything I would ever think. You know, so I immediately take this line that sounds like, let's just party, and I go downhill from there. I think I'm pretty sure. Um, in terms of, I, you know, it's kind of apocalyptic looking, like let's just escape from all these forms that are hollowed out and no longer service. It's kind of the vision I took from that and enjoy what we can while we have the ability. Um, but I think the spur, the title, the spur on my side is, is hopeful. Um, and it's something I think of with my daughters and, and the good people around me that I had who were making me think past kind of my knee-jerk reactions to things that were going on in the news and in my family which is just like that like incredible curiosity of like, no, let's come on. Let's keep thinking past that first thing. Let's keep imagining another outcome or, you know, just like getting you through and over those scary hurdles. I keep working in horse analogies. I'm sorry, but they, they work here. Um, and so that was the thing, just like be someone who kind of shades the glare away so you can see like what is actually happening to all this spinning going on yeah so i just really enjoyed singing it after that because in singing it feels kind of like calling to me the people that would do that you know or the sense of like there are people out there that will always make life better and make it like you see further and just oh it's just so easy to see all the other people <laughs> make you want to just hide in your room. track home with its steady rhythm section and wonderful interplay between guitar and dobro contains a skillfully executed arrangement in which the separate parts seamlessly fall in line behind the procession that is led by Shelley's voice and guitar I remember when the drums came in for this, 
or drums and the bass were added and it was such like a hit for us like not in a big not in the grand scheme of things but I mean I was so happy how it came together like it made me happy to hear it I mean, wrote it with just that little driving thumb rhythm pretty empty like when the backbeat came in um, with the bass and stuff it really filled it out really in a, in a groovy way I can use that word that uh, Nathan and Jim moment. We just mix it just right so you can really appreciate how good they are together. I mean, this one, I think I wrote it somewhere on social media thing of just like, but this song, like them, this song is kind of how it makes me feel. I'm just so proud of to know them and to get to make music where they do that on it. It's just really cool. This one has like a time traveling element it's just kind of in my brain it's some kind of you know fast forwarded stop motion situation where you're just kind of like a little person your house is what you know this is the small child's version it's the you can't go home again thing obviously but I didn't know it until I fully wrote it and I was like, oh yeah, this is a cliche, which I think is such an accomplishment, really, for myself. Is if you can put life back in, explain why it became a cliche, and gets outside the bounds of it, or like when you hear a cliche, that's a bad lyric. I think is is when someone puts a cliche because it goes, it just rolls off your brain, and nobody can feel anything. You know, it's just part of the language. Um, so for this, to me, it was like learning that lesson of just like, you know, seeing yourself trying to decide whether to return home. And here we are. I was totally grounded in the place that I'd wanted to be in for so long, like traveling and kind of being uprooted most of the year. And here we were completely planted six miles from where I grew up, seeing mostly my family every day. And just kind of dealing with who they were now and losing a lot of the expectations I had of like this kind of quaint cottagey coming home and always being there thing, right? It was living in the country wasn't as like idyllic when you actually had <laughs> to deal with the real life. And um, so I put it all in a song. And it's funny because someone trying to... Uh, write about the record said oh you know this song home which is about the simple pleasures of domestic life and I was just like shocked almost blushed I was like like do you wait did they just hear this song I mean this is a music writer so they're supposed to listen you know I understand some people don't hear lyrics but I was like this just reads like a woman in a kitchen to some people which I just I want to put it out there it's not about that <laughs> In the amberly morning 
Antigone retreating in the snow. The evocative amber-lit hornet is Shelley's ode to beauty and impermanence and features the great Bill Callahan, whose rich baritone creates a unique blend alongside Shelley's gentle voice. Don't you cry, these headless geese can fly. did this all through correspondence on emails and I, I think uh, I met him but he doesn't he hasn't met me <laughs> I met him before he played a show in Louisville but he didn't know that I made music or anything he just was a friend of a friend so he's like we never met it's like nope we met <laughs> um, I wrote this song minus a few of the verses and I just it was so sky high in my voice that I was like you know it would be really crazy and would suit the tone that I'm looking for this kind of mythical kind of bedtime story of myth that it would be Bill Callahan's voice and like to kind of ground it in his his voice both as a writer and his actual very low voice um and I wrote him with the idea, and he was like, yeah, okay, how about this? And came up with a couple of the verses, the one about the, the headless geese. He added such, like, of course he did. He added the one about the headless geese and the, the cows of vanity and pride. I just, just thought that was so... He was going off of my prompts, but still, he's very good. And that's not always easy when someone's like, can you fit something into this? It can sound, most oftentimes it's, you're trying to fit someone's thing, it's kind of hard to do. So I was really overjoyed by the result. You came on Like a pilot in a new open sky Cutting your lights Right through me just some words in your mouth Finding mine Couldn't see for the lightning When you rolled me Like the thunder Like the thunder Wrap like like my mind around the sound 
Tightly arranged like the thunder is a deceptive track that, despite its multiple layers, feels as if it exists in a world that is intimate and small. This is due in part to the thoughtfulness of Shelley's collaborators, which on this track includes drummer Spencer Tweedy, who rather than fight for the listener's attention, acts as a support system for Shelley's vocal performance and words. His style is so formed by the way he learned, right? He was trying to play to his dad just playing in the room with him. So he's not gonna like go banging away because you can't hear the person in the room with you. So he's got an incredible touch. This was a song prompt as well. Um, And that one was Come Out Swinging, which when it was given as like the idea for the writing, I kind of laughed like, are you kidding me? That's the opposite of what, I, of what I always do. Just kind of just like slink into a room, kind of like, does anyone see me? Okay. <laughs> like there's this, I always like try with something kind of specific and small, like a vignette, like some sensory thing, and then kind of get to what I'm getting to eventually. So it was a fun thing to just be like, okay, let's go with the big vision and from the from the top. And... You know, it was the biggest I could think of, which was like an airplane across the sky. You know, I wrote it before I got pregnant, before I knew I was pregnant. And uh, then later, someone kind of reflected back to me, like, you know, that could be about having your daughter, too. Like, that song, I'm just like, you you totally ripped me open, literally, and changed my life. And um, that was a pretty cool thing to hear, too. Following Like the Thunder is the album's lush centerpiece, When the Light is Dying. You know I sing of love because it scares you least of all. I'm home in the decaying, in the scattered leaves of fall. But oh, I'm seeing ghosts, I'm seeing ghosts, I sing along When all my favorite stories are proving false, they are proving false The ones they love to tell you when you 
things as planes I trace the black outline of every stubborn human thing alone on the horizon you want it darker and it seems while the light is dying darling come inside Yeah, musically, this was such a, like, a Garden of Eden. It was just like, all right, and this over there, and this over there, and the space within the arrangement was so lush. And I think something happens when you play, like, a, I, don't, I actually don't know if it's an A7, but, like, a jazzy chord. Everyone's like, oh, my God, I got the cymbals out. And this is, like, this whole the musicians react kind of going on. And Jim definitely reacted. It was gorgeous um, kind of chord shapes and things that I would just you know like that last strike of the strings was such a cool call um, and we had this feeling we were putting it together just like this one should go on and on forever like when we heard it for the first time just like how long can we make that ending last because the build was so like the pace was so good it didn't have to build necessarily it was one of the first songs I wrote for the record too so I knew it was going to be a big one on it, like kind of a central thing. So it was funny that it ended up as the last one on side A, but if you're listening to an LP, it's just, it was a big theme for me of just kind of trying to turn that darkness that I had heard on a Leonard Cohen record, You Want It Darker. We had been listening to You Want It Darker right after Leonard Cohen died and right after Donald Trump got elected. And we were on tour kind of for hours and hours. It felt so masochistic. For Leonard Cohen to have like this kind of prophet kind of status where he could sound like he knew the future and then things to have gotten so dark and narrow and like you know that so that one line was just like it's kind of that I think all of us have this period where nihilism is kind of sexy or attractive it's like you know what you want it darker we're gonna put on you know the darkest show it was like, we'll get scarier than the thing we're scared of. That the song, it's like the rising up out of that feeling for me. Because Nathan and I were nauseous from our, like we were in agreement, but we couldn't stop talking about all this stuff going on, right? And there was like no way out. And, uh, and so finally, with enough distance, I wrote the song and it kind of gave me that big relief. Hey. Mm-hmm. 
Track Breathe for the Boy is an examination of toxic masculinity, accompanied by a stark arrangement of piano, upright bass, and recorder. Yeah, Jim came up with that recorder thing without telling us. And so when it comes on in the song, I just was like, you know, it hit all the spots, all the receptor spots for me. Because it's like Joe Boyd really liked recorder arrangements, I think. And so some of his records had that stuff in there. Um, and then, yeah, the bass is played by Nick McCree, who, if you don't know his other stuff, he's just an, he's an ace. He's an absolute bass genius. So those things coming together and that one being really kind of sparse was a nice moment, a clearing kind of moment for the record. came to this one out of a moment of like really heightened frustration with um, family and just kind of like a long time tension that I didn't know was there about just like feminism in my family kind of thinking like well no we're cool this family's good right like we got a balance and this like sickening feeling when you realize like oh my god <laughs> my my men allies were not what I thought and hoped and like I was just so distraught for so long and just kind of mourned a lot of my relationships for a while this song came out of one of those despairing kind of crying moments which is funny it's like the only even though I didn't want to throw this bone to him the song was like like shit like he was a little boy who had to learn all this stuff. And that's also hard. And I don't want to be the first one to give him the empathy, but then by giving it, I got to let go of that anger that I had been holding on. And outside my family, I can see that more, you know, outside of that charge. It's not so hard for me to forgive things, but I think I really needed to, this was a big demon exercise. There's that, show him the man you could have been if you weren't so full of rage. It's the same as that, be the spur of my side. It's like, come on, I'm talking to you. Like, I'm talking to that side of you. That sweet one. Like, well, it's, it's a, I think I need to sing because I want to see it, you know. I hide from the world. Why would I want you to know my every desire? The kinks in my holes 
I hide from the eyes that would capitalize on my weakness. Make it easy to blow right through me. Take what you like to blow right through me. Burn out. Of its hushed opening, tasteful lead guitar lines, and understated backing vocals. The track Fawn finds Shelley and company, once again utilizing subtlety to great effect. And by the way, in case you were wondering, this is actually my favorite song on the record. I've been worried since the beginning. Am I safe in my skin? When you know what I like. Like a fawn to the feeder Have me ride in your sights Make your shot a little easier To blow right through me Take what you like To blow right through me Burn out all my light starting out with just the strums. I love in that open tuning how I'm just so drawn to hearing this. Um, I'm playing in D-A-D, F-sharp, A-D, and there's a lot of resonant strings like it, that you can kind of just strike it and, and enjoy it. So um, that's how that one like kind of poured out. It's just kind of you like talking to myself and strumming the guitar. It showed up very fast in that situation which happens sometimes I can't really say much about my intentions you know or it's just like whoa the effect of it just feels very honest and about myself and then also not me I'm just like wow it's just it's this cool thing um because man that's how I feel I feel still but I felt especially then just like the exposure of internet like the overexposure of the internet and supposedly ourselves you know whatever version we're showing and everything's like why would i want social media to like track what you like and advertise to you about things you might enjoy it's like why would i want it to know my like marketability my weaknesses like and that goes the same for society so like it was just interesting exercise um flashing between them and living out here where i live you there's deer in the yard all the time. And some of the neighbors use feeders, you know, like deer feeders. And that's not hunting. <laughs> Those are, you know, executions. And that's kind of how the analogy, that's just like, I just wish we had to work a little bit more for the pleasures in our lives, myself. And it just makes life more interesting so that little arrangement because I'm trying to think of musically it just was a pretty natural coming together it was the light it was the flame it was the fire shape of your chin it was the night all full of grace that shed every line, every 
Why not live here? The interplay between Shelley and Salzburg, perhaps the record's most essential musical element, is enhanced by the production skills of James Elkington, whose exceptional drum and string arrangements demonstrate the power of restraint and create the ideal space with which Shelley's lyrics can make the most impact. it's got a little more would you say pop quality (laughs) um funny like it has more energy than i'm used to putting in like the the rhythm was kind of reminds me of a 90s kind of rhythm or something i think nathan played an electric on that and it was like he was like oh yeah it's like a smith song or he was trying to play yeah, he he has that like it's like very anthemic kind of electric guitar plucked thing that I really liked and it did have such a different flavor. I was wondering if it was gonna fit. So I think sometimes when we bring in the strings or bring in things from the family of instruments that we've used on the record, it is tie- like tying it into the tapestry in some ways. So it does feel essential. It's not like would have been broken without strings or with it but it's just like yeah let's bring it into the group it was written like in december 2019 and i think i was speaking to a friend of mine and it just or something that i heard that was like you know i don't ever i don't know if i can stay in this town or if what i can do is going to work here and i was just like you know what we can all move and i kind of i'm hearing wendell berry whenever i think of moving Wendell Berry wrote something about urban nomadism and that idea of just like a culture that doesn't have strong roots. We just feel like we're interchangeable pieces that can go from one zone to another. And it's just about buying sterile version of the world instead of really fitting to a place and customizing your practices, that environment and as well as the natural. And I love that idea. So that was kind of the, drive behind that suggestion is like you can move we can all just keep on moving nervously and rootlessly forever and ever um but like what if we tried to stay and compromise some things and then lockdown happened and it was hilarious that i wrote that song uh not that i want to make this all about like some COVID album but this one was particularly funny 
which is like, well, why not live here? And the universe was like, why not live here? As we near the end of the record, we get the calm, string and brass swept track, Bolt. Isn't it time to grow again? Don't you feel you fall, worn and bent? Maybe a light can change you. Maybe my light can save you before you go. kind of old-timey feel to it that I was trying for was Frank Sinatra's Watertown. It's just, there's these, and it doesn't have any of the rhythmic elements to that record that I love, and I've put in other songs, but I think the um, the vibrato guitar, the bass six that comes in, is just straight up out of Watertown, like a, really evokes the 70s and kind of the the old recording studio stage sound stage that they would use and be like, you know, we're building this big, the whole orchestra is playing behind one person. So I like how the song unfolds that way. It's kind of like the fantasy is kind of opening up of that older chapter in music recording. That one, we're still on the same topics, really. Uh, it was ironic again writing about kind of motherhood before knowing that I was going to go that way I did not know if I was going to have kids I didn't think it was going to work with my life and for the reasons kind of wrestled with within the song of just like and I was talking to somebody else in my imagination I was thinking like you know all these people that aren't all these people specific people <laughs> that I know I'm like who don't feel they could have kids in this world that's so broken but the people that were most afraid in my mind were the most like you should be the one i want you to you're so careful and thoughtful like you would do it so well and just like isn't it time to grow something i just this kind of delightful idea and seeing how heavy life got to for a lot of those people who were just like kind of wringing their hands whether or not and uh Turns out it was all me. <laughs> I was the one wrestling with parenthood. 
this rock still turning while a star still shines hear the crickets calling to the hawk in flight over hills and valleys between rock and sky sound a thousand colors in the narrow light like the fading flowers on a climbing vine so few precious hours to be you and I the album's penultimate track between rock and sky is a brief number that primarily consists of Shelley's voice backed by a sparse arrangement of sustained piano chords and background vocals provided by singer Meg Bard. So sing joy and sorrow In this fold of time Like there's no tomorrow Raise your glasses high Over hills and valleys Between rock and sky To the ones that made us And the ones for whom we'll die I do love a record that has some kind of instrumental or acapella element. I think that always like brings you back to where zero is, like the black point in a photo or something, or what do they call it? White point. Um, kind of how to adjust your focus from. And from a human level, right, if it's acapella, it's like, okay, this is how small the sound could be. Um, and I really love, like, Anne Briggs, an English folk singer who, like, I was addicted to her almost entirely acapella ballad record. So kind of just a moment to say what my voice could do and kind of uh, deal with this little poem I made, if you know, or whatever. The, story <laughs> and I love that mode too the I don't know what I don't know music theory uh, much at all but the whatever modal tuning that is that scale I am really attracted to it because if you sing it in like a stairwell or a shower or something the notes are all um complementary or they they just sound really lovely together so that's a kind of like a dark quality that I really enjoy so when you go in the theater or play in front of people, you can like step into, if a theater was built for acoustics, you can like kind of sing that song into the space. I really enjoy that. The album ends with the soul-inspired track, Completely. Over gentle, contemplative finger-picking, Shelley's delicate voice relays a final message of intimacy and hope alongside expressive acoustic flourishes and spectral-like background singing.
Uh, this one was definitely a nod to like Sam Cooke. I think there's just part of me that always loved. I mean, the, how do I say this? Like I don't like Adele. Okay, Adele was using black singing styles, everything, and like I don't think there's a mention. I don't know what she says in interviews and stuff, but I always like try to keep. Um, effects pedals like in check and so this song I remember just being like I wish I could just belt and then I tried and I don't have that big a voice and so I have to always remember to like all right adjust to your size of voice and you're not Sam Cooke um and so those little haunting harmonies in there just these little like whispery compared to like the real like gorgeous and full background singing that happened in like Motown and King Records and stuff. So it's like in my in my view of the song it's like a little ghost <laughs> a little ghost that stuck around in some recording studio. Yeah, and I just remember a friend of mine read the lyrics in the songwriting group and was like, I thought this song was going to sound so like sexual from just reading the lyrics. And I was like, what is Joan like what is she doing? And then they heard the recording like how did it not come out that way at all <laughs> for a second was insulted and I was like oh that's great like that's kind of what I'm always doing I think is like I I think things are sexy and funny but the way I sing is very non-dramatic but I think it creates a different relationship with the lyrics than if I was to like really perform sadness or really perform sexuality or something like the effects in my voice and that's complete now the album's over for the album art Shelley would work with photographer and artist Amber Thieneman yeah I called her up to do some photos and I told her you know it was just like kind of I don't like, and most of my album, I remember once we had like a full picture of my face that the label was like, we should do this one with your full face, like really close up. It's like, are you joking? So there's always some part of me that's like, how do we do this like half presentation or like a, like a reveal, but not reveal. And so this one, you know, she gave me all these cool woven things that she had in this dresser of hers of like costumes and stuff and I just kind of wrapped this thing around me and we took some photos and that one seemed to be the thing. No Quarter would release The Spur on June 24th, 2022. The album would go on to receive critical acclaim and by the end of the year appear on a number of best albums of 2022 list, being deemed the second best album of the year from the UK's Uncut magazine. Yeah, it's been really great to see such a connection. Um, and some people 
like putting it on their best of the year lists and things like that. It's really great to to feel some love and in because I haven't toured like I used to tour for this record. It's hard to know really what the connection is. And live shows were such an important way to really know what's happening um, with the music. So in a way, it's kind of, it's kind of abstract. It's just kind of is it really, you know, did we do really great, like better than ever? Or it's just kind of a non-event also. So in terms of like the way I've lived, it's just raising a kid since then. On her album, The Spur, Joan Shelley sings, For It Takes So Much to Be Human, a simple and true sentiment and one especially befitting of the time in which it was written. But rather than wallow in the despair and uncertainty of it all, the album chooses hope that in spite of all that it takes to be human, the difficulties and utter nonsense, Shelley still chooses the act of moving forward. Speaking from the kind of two extremes of my personality, if I were to sum up how I feel about the record, it's, it's on the one hand the best record I've made, I think some of the strongest songs and really good lyrics that please me. Um, and then on the other hand, it feels very small that we're just some like very <laughs> normal people in a corner of the world who have done something. And it's amazing that anyone has ever listened to it outside of our friend group. That's kind of <laughs> the things that I feel. Um, yeah, it's just a weird time for music too. So you're just like, what is music even supposed? What is, in terms of like being heard far and wide, or or the or the personal role? Like, how much is this supposed to touch people? It's just like a very uh, in in flux thing, or like place we are in. Thanks for listening to In Loving Recollection. A very special thanks to Joan Shelley for speaking with me about this very special record. Another special thanks goes out to my man Jake Fussell for helping set this all up. You can buy and stream The Spur and more from Shelley at joanshelley.bandcamp.com on the various streaming platforms or at noquarter.net. Seek this stuff out. It'll make you a better person. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter or at inlovingrecollection.com. We'll see you next time. We'll get through this.